Welcome to our uh, Wednesday night Bible study, uh, where we, uh, it's simply that, it's going through the scriptures and uh, taking a look, examining them. Uh, we are in the Old Testament, and uh, I've covered quite a bit of ground. We uh, <laughs> covered all of this fat part. We're uh, to the book of Daniel. We did take a couple of years off doing something different on Wednesday nights, but by popular demand, we're back studying the scriptures, and uh, we're going through it. We try to go verse by verse, although there's big chunks we skip because it's just incomprehensibly boring <laughs> of just repetitive stuff that just, you know, is just not germane to our Christian experience. If you'd like to read it on your own, certainly we encourage everybody to read the Bible, and, and you can certainly read it on your own. And if you're having a difficult time sleeping, I encourage you to read you know, Leviticus would be a nice place, or Lamentations would be another wonderful experience for you. But uh, this is an exercise of just trying to uh, discuss the truths of the Scripture, and that's what it is, in a sense, although you don't get to talk, <laughs> I am just trying to encourage you in understanding the Scriptures. This is not an exercise in doctrination, okay? An exercise in doctrination is this is what we think, and we all think you should think exactly this way. This is not. All right, this is just looking at the scriptures. I will tell you what I think. Uh, not everybody always agrees. Again, most of it is just minor stuff that doesn't really matter. We try not to get into the weeds of things in the Christian experience that just, just don't matter. Okay, and try to stay on things that are positive and helpful uh, to all. Uh, I like to encourage people. Uh, you know, in the uh, book of Acts, which is the record of the early Christian church, there's a place where uh, Paul was out, uh, the Apostle Paul, and they're starting churches and stuff. He comes to a, a, a city by the name of Berea. And uh, everywhere else, by and large, people would listen to the message of Paul. And say, well, wow, this is awesome. And they would just totally accept it and embrace it. When he gets to the Bereans, they don't. They listened to what he said. And then they went out and checked it out for themselves. Did... Does this make sense? Is that really what the Bible says? Now, you would think, based on a dominant, you know, mentality, you know, that, gee, those guys were not as noble as the rest who just heard it and just believed everything Paul said. That is not what the Scripture says. The Scripture actually says that the, uh, the Bereans were more noble than the other ones because they went to check out to see if, in fact, what was told them was true. And that is certainly what we encourage here as we uh, instruct the scriptures and stuff. We encourage you to go check it out for yourself. And if you have a different opinion, you certainly can, you know, let me know and just be nice. <laughs> Don't get mad nasty about it. All right. So we're reading Daniel. We got into the second chapter of Daniel. Daniel and his uh, three uh, Hebrew buddies were among the cream of the crop of the... Uh, Jews that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come in and, and Babylon had totally destroyed Jerusalem and taken the Jews into captivity, what were left. You know, I dare say the bulk of them had been killed. It was quite the bloodbath and one of the most horrific uh, events in uh, Jewish history. Uh, all that was prophesied by the prophets, which are all these guys <laughs> who kept warning them, you better stop disobeying God because he's going to send judgment. They didn't believe him. Bada bing, bada boom. Finally, the hammer falls, and this is what happens. So as we go into the... Now, Nebuchadnezzar is having this giant... He is ruling at a massive level. There are just really a handful of... And we're going to get into this in just a minute. A handful of uh, major cultures that dominated 
world rule, and I mean it was just a big chunk of the then known world, and and uh, you know, just parts of the world, China and stuff like that. So never mentioned in the Bible because that's where I'm not sure they even knew it was there. Uh, but that known world, some of these kingdoms uh, were just massive, and this is one of them. And uh, this is the Babylonian kingdom. It is they brought in all these other cultures. They tried to integrate them, and Daniel. And his three buddies, I can't remember their actual Jewish names, we're running into here, maybe somewhere, but uh, they all changed their names. Daniel, even though we keep using the name Daniel, his name got cha- changed to Belteshazzar, which was a Babylonian name. His other three buddies were called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were all Babylonian names. Not their given names, but that's what uh, the Babylonians called them because they were trying to incorporate everybody. It would be like, you know, if you come from Guatemala, and your name's Jose, and we say, nope, from now on, it's Bill, all right? I mean, that kind of thing, because <laughs> it's just we want you to be part of it. We don't do that, but I'm just saying that was kind of what they were doing, desperately trying to incorporate these people. The king, in his massive rule, is looking for the best men in the world, the unknown world, to come and serve uh, under his rule and to help him manage this massive kingdom. I mean, you can imagine the, uh, you know... The, the, the uh, detail and the work to manage something that huge. I mean, you know, look at our country. I mean, it's hard enough just to manage Green Bay, <laughs> you know, much less all of Wisconsin or all the United States. You know, this, these things were massive, and they didn't have the communication structure we had today. So they needed really skilled people to do this. And as he would conquer nations, he would find the best of the best to come, educate them. And Daniel and his three buddies were young men that were from very privileged families, the Bible tells us. They were highly intelligent, well-educated. The Bible says they were good-looking boys. You know, the king sees these guys, great, let's bring them in. Uh, The cream of the crop educates them into their culture and their language, and they served at the pleasure of the king. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, as can well be expected, was a narcissist of just incredible degree. It's hard to even comprehend how self-absorbed this man was. But um, a lot of it was because he was just so successful. One of the problems with successful people, and we all know highly successful. I have great friends that are highly successful, multimillionaires and stuff like that. They, they tend to at times come off as really obnoxious people. <laughs> I hope they don't hear me say this. But anyway, it's just because at some point, if you're highly successful, you assume I'm successful because of everything I think is right. And everything in life. That's one of the problems, you know, God bless, you know, it's one of the challenges of young athletes that come even to our city of Green Bay, you know. They come in and they get plugged in and now they're being paid millions of dollars. Can you imagine how obnoxious you would have been had you received millions and millions of dollars in fame at age 22? Good Lord, I'm still obnoxious, I'm 60. But what happens is at 20, they now get, there's something that happens mentally and emotionally to these people because they are so successful. The only reason I'm successful is clearly how I view the world is correct or I wouldn't be successful. Uh, it's some fundamental that a lot of that's happening. So they get very strong in their opinion. It's like some of these Hollywood nitwits that you listen to that have opinions about politics and stuff. And you listen to me and think, who are these people? You're a great actor, but you're dumb as a brick, okay? But they become very vocal and have all these opinions because they're so 
successful. And I'm, the reason I'm successful is because of the way I think. There go everything I think has to be imposed upon everyone else. They become very opinionated, blah, 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 blah. Well, you can imagine if, you know, it's bad enough to be the governor. It's bad enough to be a senator, bad enough to be a president. They got to really fight this. You know, always, always criticize these. Whoever's in power is always a narcissist, depending on what side of the aisle is. You accuse the guy in charge of that. All the Republicans think Barack is out of his mind. All the people, the Democrats thought Bush was the Antichrist, okay? So, I mean, everybody's got their thing because they hate the man of power. But can you imagine if you ruled the world and no one could withstand you? They become so incredibly enraged. These people lived, the Bible talks about how they lived in fear of serving the king because if you did anything wrong, they'd cut off your head. You know, on the one hand, it was a great privilege to serve the king because you, now you had a very blessed life. You, you know, wow, the privilege. Everybody else out there, they're <laughs> sucking for air, <laughs> trying to survive. You're living in the king. You get the best food and everything else. But you do anything wrong, you're, you're toast uh, because of the way these guys were. Now, so Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we read last week, has this dream. And it is very, was very common of the day that when a king would have a dream, and the Bible actually says that God often would speak to these kings in dreams and in visions that would oftentimes overwhelm them, and they would call for the wise men and stuff like that, the smartest guys to come and interpret. You remember Joseph in the Bible, his whole thing of interpreting dreams. I mean, this, this goes way back. Uh, you know, it's significant. It's, you know, it's kind of curious. You never hear about it in modern culture. I wonder if great leaders today still have dreams that trouble them that they don't know. And if that, I wonder if in secret they talk. It wouldn't surprise me. Because clearly this goes back thousands of years. It's just a big history of this. Uh, stuff that actually influences their decisions and stuff. I don't know if anyone's ever studied that. that would, wouldn't it be fast, fabulous to see if they, they had that? Anyway, it's certainly the case here. So he has this dream. And what would happen is they would come in, these wise men, and they would tell them their dreams. And then they would interpret those dreams to where, oh, that's what that means. And it would kind of guide and direct their lives. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he wakes up, and for the life of him, he can't remember the dream. We've all had that, right? You wake up, and oh, you just feel creeped out, because he had this creepy dream. What was it? I don't remember. I, have, I don't know what it was, but oh, it's just, you know, it's a strange dream. I can't remember. And the longer you, sometimes you'll remember pieces of it. By lunchtime, you can't remember anything of it. You just remember it was this really creepy dream. So anyway, the king has this dream. He calls all these wise rulers of whom now is Belteshazzar, which is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're among the privileged Jews that are helping to run his little universe, little, huge universe, uh, in their little ways. And he calls the head guys, the head wise men. Uh, actually, initially, Daniel and his buddies weren't called in. The other guys came in, a little bit more senior staff, because remember, Daniel's guys were pretty young at the time. And he said, I had this dream. Tell me what it means. And the guy said, great, tell us the dream, and we'll tell you what it means. And he says, no, I don't know what it was. You got to tell me what the dream was, and then tell me what it meant. Well, only a pure narcissistic psycho would think in these terms. And he warns them, if you cannot tell me what my dream was and what it meant, I'm going to kill you all. Slice you to pieces, he says. Well, these guys are a little concerned, <laughs> as you can well imagine, because this guy does not mess around. They live in fear of this man who wields all 
power, pure, unadulterated, unhindered power. Anything that irritates them, it would just be wiped off the face of the earth. So they're trying to reason with the king. What you're asking is impossible. And I mean, they were, you know, may the king live forever. Oh, your holiness, oh, your majesty, whatever the thing that they would call them, because, you know, they feared these guys. And they said, listen, nobody can do that. Nobody, they said, actually, if you remember last week where we read, they said, no one in the history of kingdoms has ever requested such a thing. Tell me what I dreamt and then what it meant. And the king said, kill them all. So, they go and they start rounding up. Not only the guys who failed to tell what it meant, go get all the wise men of, this, of, of my kingdom and kill them all. I mean, we're talking, these guys were crazy. Nebuchadnezzar is, I'm sure, he eventually goes insane, which we'll read about as we get into this, which God punished him for being such a narcissist. But uh, it's just all this power. Just cra- so he just... Rules everybody has, all the wise people have to die. So they're going and they're grabbing all these guys. So they come to get Daniel, Belteshazzar, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Hi, how you doing? Good. You need to come with me. Why? We're going to kill you. And and it says, as they're going along, uh, he said, do you mind telling me why we're going to die? (laughs) I I mean, you have to be so respectful at all times of this power. It's overwhelming. And just, you know, I know you're going to kill me, but just as respectfully as possible. Can you tell me why we're going to die? And he tells them because those guys couldn't tell him what the king meant. Of course, I'm thinking, then why are you killing me? <laughs> it's not my fault. It didn't matter. So they're dragging uh, Daniel away with this. Uh, I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Pentagon were dragged, but Daniel was. So Daniel says to the king, look, tell the king, give me... I don't know, what was it, like a, a night or some time or whatever, uh, to, uh, to, to ask for time. That was verse 7, 16. He says, Daniel, just give me some time, and, and I'll tell you everything that you need to know. Okay, so that, all that rambling, sorry, for the, it takes a while to catch everybody up to what we're talking about. Uh, now we're picking up at verse 17. So then Daniel, who confidently told the king, give me a little time, I'll tell you everything, goes back to his house and explained to his friends, here's their actual names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, and he urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So what he's basically saying is, would you guys mind praying about this? <laughs> because I just ask for more time and I have no idea. Well, what's the worst thing is going to happen? He's going to kill you. Well, he's going to kill you anyway. Okay? So he buys time saying, please, please. I can't, no, don't worry, king. I got under control. A little time. I, I can handle this. The king. All right. He goes back. Man, you guys, we need to pray. Because <laughs> they were dragging me along and they're going to come back and get you. All of us. We're all going to get killed. And, uh, and so you need to pray and ask God that God would intervene. So I'm pretty sure, you know those times when you're not, you kind of pray, but it's not overwhelming emotional prayer. It's like, you know, Lord, thank you for our cheeseburger and, and help Pastor Mark not be so crazy. Amen. I mean, it's not overwhelming, gut-wrenching type prayer. It's, you know, but then there's, 
holy cow kind of prayer. You know, and these guys, I'm pretty sure, went into holy cow kind of prayer mode because death is on the line. So during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So God gives Daniel the same dream the king had. And then, because Daniel wakes up and he's elated. He knows this is from God. And somehow he knows that's what the king dreamed. Not only did he get the dream, but he knew what it meant. I mean, boom, all this happened. God answered their prayer in this moment of crisis. And you remember already in chapter one, just because of the type of food they ate, they could have been killed for asking for different kind of food. They got through that crisis. This is crisis number two. Chapter three is another crisis. You know, eventually remember Daniel in the lion's den? We're about to get to that crisis. I mean, this poor guy, their lives were constantly in this hostile environment. They were at risk of losing their lives overwhelmingly over and over again. It is what it is. That's what they're going through, and that's why we have this record. It's quite an amazing story of protection. So anyway, Daniel gets up. He's very, very happy, as you can well imagine, and he starts to praise God. In verse 20, it says, and this is what he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings. He deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you and have made known to us the dream of the king. So he just goes, he just starts praying and he starts thanking God because he knew this is a good thing. Well, anyway, so we pick it up in verse 24. And then Daniel says to Arioch, he's the guy whom the king had, well, I'll read it, <laughs> whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. So this is the guy who came to get Daniel and looking for the other guys to go drag them off and kill. He's the one who said, you know, why are you killing us? So he says to him, uh, don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Save everybody. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Now, if I'm one of the wise men of Babylon, this is the best news I've heard <laughs> in, in quite a few hours, all right? Someone at least is going to try and handle this situation. So Arioch took, uh, not Ariel, oh, that's a, that's a Disney movie. Arioch took, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know what goes in my head. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I've found a man among the exiles, <coughs> excuse me, from Judah, who can tell the king what his dreams mean? Well, then the king asked Daniel, also called Belt-Tazar, that's what they called him, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel, trying to take a position of humility, uh, and he does this for two reasons. One is uh, he wanted to be humble before God and not take credit for something not good to take credit. I mean, at some point, humility is, even if you're greatly gifted, I don't care if you're a great athlete, great intellect, great whatever, at some point, we need to be thankful to God. And, and you, various people who have their perspectives, right, are often thanking God for their gifts and stuff like that. So he, he's trying to be humble. The other thing is he's talking to the king, and they routinely came before the king and would always humiliate themselves or, or try to humble themselves before the king because of the incredible power. They basically came before the king and said, king, you're fabulous. I'm a slime bag. And thank you for even listening to a slime bag because I, I am disgusting. I'm sorry that you have to even smell me, but I'm here. And I, I mean, they just were constantly in this mode because of the powers that they were up against. So right away he goes into, you know, I'm a nobody, nothing mode because again, trying to be humble before God and before the king. He said, look, he said, can you tell me? Well, 
no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. I'm, I'm surprised he even said that because the king could just say, well, then kill him. You know, when you get the rest of it out. But he says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. And that's an understatement. It's really the years and centuries that were to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you, referring to God, what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than any other living man. Actually, I would think he did. <laughs> he'd be at the top of the list. But again, they had to be very careful to always be humble, both before God and this guy. Uh, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation, that you may understand what went through your mind. I'm here, and this is all God's doing, and I'm really no special than anybody else. And I just... So you looked, O king. So he starts to tell him his dream. And of course, as he's telling him this dream, this is all coming back to the king, because so, he's nailing it. He says, you looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs were made of bronze, its legs were made of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay, which is kind of significant in the dream because that kind of stuff doesn't really hold together all that well. All right. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. So he tells him what the dream was, and he says, You, O king, are the king of kings, which at that time it was. Kind of an uncomfortable phrase, because we refer to as Jesus as the king of kings. But <laughs> in this particular situation, this guy is the king of kings on earth, because he's massively powerful. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Uh, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. Uh, you are the head of gold. Uh, so what he's basically, uh, Daniel is saying, both as a degree of humility before the king and I think just as a matter of fact, saying that you have all this power and God has given you this power, which is kind of strange. I'm pretty sure all the people who died in Jerusalem did not think this is a man to whom God gave power. And it's a little something of us to remember. I mean, it's great that we live in the country that we live in and we have democracy and we can try and vote one idiot out and the other idiot in and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge and show respect to people who are in power because the basic history basically says at some point, these things happen to a great degree because of God's will. Well, it was God's will and you mentioned some terrible dictator. You know, it's hard to imagine everything that God is doing and all that's playing. At, at one level, certainly the evil that they do is not of God. But, you know, if you're in Jerusalem and they're destroying you and chopping your family to pieces, that 
doesn't seem, but, but that was, God was actually using them as judgment on these people because of their sins and whatever. It's kind of got your head around. One thing that is, is clear in the Bible, and I think it's fine as Americans that we can stand up to tyranny and stuff that we think is inappropriate, but at some point, we as people of faith, the Bible teaches us, are to show deference and respect to people in authority. That is difficult for us because we're Americans and we don't like anybody telling us to do anything. All right, but it is what it is. All right, so anyway, despite this massive guy who just took over the whole world, he says, God gave you this. And then after you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom of bronze will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks to pieces, so it will crush all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly baked clay and partly iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of the iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be part strong, partly brittle, and just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and they will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In those times of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will endure forever." This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands, but a rock that broke the iron, bronze, and clay, and silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. Uh, The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. And then we see that King Nebuchadnezzar falls prostrate before Daniel, which is a big stinking deal. Okay? And... He paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Uh, I don't even know what that means. It must have creeped Daniel out, but you just shut up and, <laughs> you know, whatever the king's doing. Uh, and be respectful. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. So now he becomes the wisest of all the wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys we named earlier with different names, administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So not only was he incredibly blessed in the first place, now he is a major player in this immense kingdom of Babylon, and it's really a big stinking deal. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guys, where they became, uh, you know, uh, administrators over different provinces and stuff like that. Uh, now, and we'll bring this out later, you would think if you're the other wise men, you would be extraordinarily grateful. Don't you think? I mean, if some guy pulls it out and saves my neck, I like this guy. <laughs> Yay for you. <laughs> go, team, go. Uh, we'll find out, because it's just the nature of man. People are envious and jealous. And these guys now become envious and jealous that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have this power, and they seek ways to destroy them. The reason why Daniel wound up in the lion's den, the same thing happened. These guys envied Daniel's position and got him in trouble so that they 
threw him into the lion's den. And we'll get into that as we go, but it's just, it just shows the bizarre nature. You would think all these men who had major positions, they were all headed for death, that they would be extremely grateful to Daniel. But again, human nature takes over, greed, envy, all that kind of crazy stuff. Now, let's talk a little bit about, about this stream. And I'm not going to get deeply into the weeds on this because I'm just not inclined to do such things. And I'll explain to you why in just a second. Um, he is talking about this prophecy of the major kingdoms that will rule over the earth. Uh, it is extraordinarily and amazingly and creepily accurate. Uh, it's so accurate that there's people, obviously there's a lot of people who don't believe the Bible at all or anything, who are convinced that all of this was written centuries later. And that was interjected so that it shows that Daniel knew what was coming. You get the same thing from Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. And the chances of that, mathematically, I forget what the number is. It's just, it's off the, the fact, that's why it proves the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. There are people who, because they don't believe Jesus Messiah, don't believe the Gospels. And they think what happened was they rewrote the story of Jesus and inserted all those things that he did so that it would intentionally fit and fulfill those prophecies because they're just not going to believe. There's people who don't believe. You know, we're teaching, uh, you know, about the life of Moses. Do you know there is no record in Egypt that the, the Israelites were there or that the, all those plagues and stuff? You'd think that would be a major stuff that would be, they haven't, number one, they haven't found it. Uh, but number two, it's not there. People, there are people who actually believe that uh, the Jews were never in Egypt. And there were certainly never all these plagues and stuff that got them into the promised land. There are many archaeologists and stuff who say there is no evidence that the Jews ever wandered out in the desert. There is none. And as far as we know, archaeologically speaking, there is no evidence that over, almost two million people were wandering out in that desert. Now, in all fairness, it was the desert. They just found in that very same desert a jeep that had been lost during the Yom Kippur War, which was, what, 1972 or whatever it was, uh, and it was buried under 52 feet of sand. <laughs> you can pretty much figure, oh, 3,000 years ago, it might really be way down there. So, you know, just because they say they can't find it, therefore it didn't happen, is a huge leap. And if they didn't, then where did all these people come from? All of a sudden, this whole nation is born, this Jewish nation, you know, it, you know, it wasn't out of... Madison, I mean, where do they come from? At some place, these people came from. But there's people that try to dismiss it. Uh, there will be people who say, because you don't see any record of this, it disproves. There are always people looking to try and disprove anything in the Bible. But look, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Number one, they just maybe have not found any record yet, which is yet to be found. Or number two, it wouldn't surprise me that the Egyptians, so humiliated from this, spoke and said, there shall never, this shall never be spoken of. And we don't want anyone to know. There'll be no record of it. You see, nobody would do that. Are you kidding? There's Arabs in the Middle East who are still saying the Holocaust never happened. I mean, in all their schools, everything never happened. And that was just 75 years ago. To these people, it never existed. What do you think of a culture that hated the Jews, were humiliated by what happened, and would just erase all knowledge of their existence, thousands of years. So it's totally consistent with just crazy people. So anyway, Daniel's vision and dream is so amazingly accurate, it is quite stunning. Uh, what, what, uh, it, he doesn't say who these people are, these kingdoms, but as you look back now, you see what they were. 
and they were, there were these massive kingdoms. The first one, obviously, we know who the head of gold is because Daniel said, it's you, it's the Babylonians. He represented the Babylonian uh, empire. Uh, the next one uh, were the, uh, the Medes and the Persians. We're relatively sure that's who the next group is because they're the ones who defeated the Babylonians. And that was, you know, king, the Persian king Cyrus. Uh, the, the third major kingdom of the world, but of the known world at that time, again, we don't know of anything else that was happening anywhere, you know, uh, were, was Alexander the Great. These are historical facts. This was massive. They, he ruled everything. This is now the third major kingdom. So, so far, Daniel's dead on. One, two, three. The fourth one, of course, were the Romans, the Roman Empire, which was massive. Uh, after that, it said there would be other kingdoms that would arise, uh, but they kind of would not quite be the same kind of strength. They'd have elements of, but they wouldn't kind of really mix all that well together. And people assume from out of that were the nations that were birthed after the Roman Empire, Europe, the United States, all these other kind of things. We are basically these feet and toes that are iron and clay and, you know, there's a lot of strength, but we don't quite all really function all that well together. Uh, and, you know, to look at that is quite stunning, that, that, that that's exactly, he saw all that exactly as it would occur throughout the thousands of years that were to come. Uh, we believe that this was exactly what happened, that he did see it, that that's what, because God knows exactly what's going to happen. Uh, what's interesting thing about that, he says the next one that will happen will be the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God will eventually wipe away all memory of all this other stuff. And we believe, the biblically speaking, Jesus someday, all this is going to come to end and Jesus is going to come back. The reason why many Christians believe that we're in the end times, if you will, uh, which according to the Bible, we've been in the end times for the last 2,000 years. Uh, at some point, all this ends is because of biblical stories like this. According to Daniel, there are no other major uh, kingdoms that are going to come. There is nothing else. There's this... The clay and iron, which surely makes sense of all the nations that we have today. But there isn't that. The only thing left is going to be the kingdom of God. Now, um, people have different opinions about this. You know, I don't get into it. I just, I don't, I just don't, ref I refuse to get caught into arguments about end time prophecy and stuff. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to get people to be nice. <laughs> You know, basic Christian morality. It is, you won't get me into these stupid arguments. I refuse. I'm not going to argue with you about the proper way to baptize or not. To, I'll tell you what I think, but I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into predestination and all these, all these arguments that Christians historically have fought about. You know, I'm just trying to, you know, just, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't, you know, commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. You know, stuff, just the basics. For heaven's sake, we just get, that's what I focus on. We get that, then maybe once we've got that all really taken care of, I'll get into arguments with you about end time prophecy. But at this point, other people can do it because quite frankly, I'm not interested. I get criticized for that from, from time to time, but I don't know what the point is. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. The Bible says throughout the New Testament, every time it talked about something that's gonna happen in the end, it always basically ends with seeing what's going to happen, what kind of life you should live. So if that's the point of all that prophecy, I'm just going to focus on the kind of lives we're going to live. I, we, I don't really understand all of this end time stuff, and nobody does. If you think someone understands, yeah, I listen to George Billy Bob, minister of prophecy in Church of God down in Alabama, and he knows exactly what he doesn't know any more than you do, or I do. Okay? 
what we do know is big change is coming. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we need to, the Bible, the point of it is be serious about your life. Jesus said, I will come like a thief in the night. When people aren't expecting, boom, this stuff's going to happen. We need to live the kind of lives that we're ready for no matter what happens. That's the point. That's what I'm going to emphasize in. I don't get into all this stuff. But uh, one of the uh, interpretations of this, after the Roman Empire and stuff like that, uh, you know, people have had different interpretations of what all that means. I, I don't really care. You know, During the uh, Reformation, so when the Protestants broke away from the Catholic Church, you know, they were very critical and said that it was the Catholic Church that was the Roman Empire. You know, we're just poor Catholics. They beat up on somebody, you know. They're always fighting about something. So they made the Catholics to be evil and that uh, God's crushing them and that the new Reformation Church is that new rock. That, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that is always going to... The people throughout the years have always tried to take stuff and make it into something that maybe it's not. I really don't think this had to do with Martin Luther and the Pope, okay? Uh, I just, uh, I think these are some bigger issues, major changes. I think all these major events, world events that Daniel saw in the stream, that the king saw, and Daniel reminded him of what he saw and explained to him what was going to happen is a pretty strong statement of God's ability to look into the future. What is interesting, again, from our viewpoint at this point in the history of mankind is all of this has pretty much been done. There is nothing else except what we see in the book of Revelation. And actually, Daniel sees a little bit of it toward when we get to the end, talking about this antichrist and stuff that's going to come on the earth before everything ends. Creepy stuff. When is it going to happen? I don't know. I hope I'm long dead and gone <laughs> before any of it happens. You know, other people, oh, I hope it happens tomorrow. You know, really? <sighs> I, I would, you know. I'm not really excited about going through all that stuff that's going to happen. We don't know. The main thing is to be ready and stuff like that. So that is, in essence, uh, this incredible dream and finishes out chapter 2 of Daniel. And now you might know more now than you ever really cared to know. All right. Now, chapter 3, which we'll pick up next week, is King Nebuchadnezzar then goes into another rage of narcissistic psychoism. And it gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in major trouble. And one of the more dramatic miracles in the Bible, there's, there's miracles, you know, you can count on two, the major big Yo Mama Bible miracles, and this is one of them that we're about to read. You don't want to miss this. It is uh, one of my favorite accounts in the scriptures. And from what happens here, is, is a way that I have approached my life by and large over the last 40 years as a Christian. And uh, there's great truths about faith and how to trust God and how you can get to a place where you can actually see God answer your prayers and see miracles that happen. But a lot of it, I believe, can't happen unless you think like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thought in their crisis. So we'll get into that next week. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and that we can take this time on Wednesday nights just to study the Bible, increase our biblical literacy, because uh, we want to know we shouldn't be ignorant of these things. And As we go along, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and we're able to glean what we can from these events and this knowledge to help us live 
more successful Christian lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.